was just watching um i was just watching while i was waiting for you to show up i was watching this youtube video the last play from every world series 1980 to present i was getting caught up on baseball 1980 to present you're just yeah why buddy why i don't know i'm becoming a baseball guy i guess i'm pivoting I'm pivoting. It's getting into him getting into what we talk, uh, what we win the biz, the baseball fandom, meaningful, meaningful October baseball. We're headed towards it, so I'm getting. October is coming. That's uh, right. Yeah, but I'm sorry. This is a uh, that's America's pastime. You're doing uh, <laughs> cultural appropriation. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry to inform well, you. That's the, I'm I'm like a, I'm a Toronto Raptors guy mostly in terms of my sports fandom, but I am a of an absolute band, Blue Jays bandwagon fan. That's the thing. That's the thing with my baseball fandom. When they're playing well, and when they get into this, like when they finally advance into the meaningful baseball, I can't pay attention to the other seven months of the the thousand games that are on in baseball season. But that's when I start. That's when I start pretending that I'm a big baseball fan, so I can have conversations with it, and it sounds like I, it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. But it's pure, uh, pure bandwagon, just jumping on there at the last moment without, without any of the pain and suffering that you get from being like a normal sports fan, seeing all the ups and downs and stuff. I just like the good, the good parts. It's a win-win. You, you protect yourself from heartbreak as if you watch that compilation. Uh, I experienced uh, very early on in life as a, as a Cleveland fan mm. uh, in two different World Series in the 90s. And... Uh, you know, pretty heartbreaking stuff as a kid when that's your kind of hometown team. Uh, but Cleveland I has traditionally not been a great, a winning <sighs> in terms of championships. The Cavs, though. That's, that that's Cavs something. series was one of the most exciting yeah, sporting events. Like that whole, if you want to call it an event, a series of events that I've ever witnessed. And I'm sure I'm biased, but it was, it was unbelievable. Um, coming back from three to one and game seven with Kyrie's like clutch three yeah, in his face that, yeah. and Le- LeBron's block and just that last like two minutes of gameplay was <laughs> probably yeah. the most stressed I've ever been in my life yeah no it was the same when the Raptors won as well was, I've talked about this before too but it's just that really does most of the time as a sports fan it's just pain just pure pain as you're just talking about and most especially if you're the fan of a, of a you know a franchise like the Raptors like the the Browns, like the Cleveland yeah. baseball team, it's no, a long. They're going to be the Guardians now. Oh, the Guardians, since, right? How uh-huh. do you feel about that? I think it's cool. That yeah. bridge, like the the Guardian statues on that bridge going into downtown Cleveland, is pretty cool. I think that's like a unique name specific to the city, and everyone was like upset about it when it was announced. Um, like Rich Lowry of the National Review and all these kind of like pedants on the right who act like something, you know, outside of their immediate it's, it's woke world cancel culture. Like somehow <laughs> ruining their life and like upending <laughs> tradition. And they're like, this is, this makes no sense. Like, why would you do that? It's like, yeah, buddy, why the f- Utah fucking jazz? Explain that to me, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, sure, it's teams move, but like, then the names don't make sense. Like the Los Angeles Lakers no does not there, make sense. Yeah. yeah, zero lakes. Like this makes sense. Notoriously, it's very named... little water. Actually, that's one yeah, of the main things. like uh, Echo Park Lake, and you're named after uh, the you know the the police forces that raise homeless encampments. Yeah, <laughs> wow, wonderful. But are the Expos was... coming back? I think they're splitting time with Florida. They're they're doing like because there's actually like a. A, a group of people, the snowbirds, we call them, who actually do live in Quebec half the year and then have lived the other half of the year in Florida. So now they're, they're getting represent, snowbird representation with this new deal with the, the Rays, I think. But I just wanted to say that like that's the when you finally get to overcome that that moment, it's like it really that's why I, I will always be a sports fan, because like that's there's no sweeter feeling than that than like suffering year after year after year and finally getting that payoff. There's no there's nothing like it, baby. That's why we're transitioning to a sports podcast. I'm done with the news and stuff. I can't. I can't do it anymore. So we're transition. We're pivoting to pure sports ball now, and I'm. I'm excited about this new creative direction. Uh, okay, we need new personas then. <laughs> yeah, right. We need new personas, new bits, new voices. We need yeah. like a sound, like a sound wheel, a soundboard. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. Like auga. We need one yeah. of those. We can have like weirdo, like people calling in. Uh huh. Really yep. super devoted, like nerdy sports guys. Yeah, we need have the really guys. Have passionate conversations with them. 
Like we need the guys whose wives like absolutely hate them, who spend all their free time on like Bleacher Report, just like posting comments about how the coach sucks. Like the guys who who could never make like their middle school basketball team just popping off like about yeah. what if they were in charge, how the team would be a championship team. Of course. We need those guys. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to this. I think this is gonna be way more fulfilling to me. Just talk about this depressing stuff all day. Yeah, sports famously ball. never depressing sports. Yeah, exactly. Despite <laughs> all the thing I just just said like two minutes ago about all the pain and suffering and all that stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think this is good. You were just on a big like uh, trip over the last week, right? You were they were all over the place. What was going on with that? I mean, I went I went one place, yeah. Yeah. I went to beautiful. All over the place in that one luxurious. place. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Birmingham, Alabama for nice. Furnace Fest which was a hardcore and metal festival, and it fucking rocked. The lineup was unbelievable. <laughs> um, I, yeah, had a, had an absolute blast. The lineup was sick. Um, I mean, Converge, Defeater, Every Time I Die, uh, and uh, Walls of Jericho. Oh, my gosh. Uh, terror, uh, Comeback Kid. Uh, these little Canadian representation for you. Yeah, that's um, stacked. Th- this is like this is not even like scratching the surface. Like Darkest Hour, Turnstile, Unearth, uh, so many more. Like tons and tons of bands were there. It was just a st- unbelievably disgusting lineup. It rocked. Shyhalud. <laughs> oh my god, I love Shyhalud. I'm a big Shyhalud yeah, yeah. guy. It's funny for me because it's it's I'm significantly severely dating myself, but back in the day, I would I went to. Um, Hellfest 2K in Syracuse, New York, and both and Shyhood and Walls of Jericho and Converge were all there at Hellfest 2K. So I'm it's it, I'm happy to hear that they're still out there killing it. Bane uh, was you know, there. You know, well, yeah. I wish that was yeah. cool. Um, I was really into that kind of stuff at the time. You know, the guitarist in Walls of Jericho is in a band with friends of the show, George and Jesse. You know, really? Did you know that? I did not know that. That's great. Yeah, Chris Chris Rawson, who's in Walls of Jericho, is in Stick to Your Guns. Wow. Yeah. I was not aware that? of that. You learn something new every day, Rob. Yeah. Were there any friends of the show at the at the fest with you? Um I'm trying to think of people who have been on that were there. Uh I don't know if he I don't think he's been on. No, he hasn't been on, but Ricky from Internet Today was there. Um Oh, cool. I went. I went down with the the counterparts guys, although they had to drop at the last second. Um, Tom from Straight from the Path was there for a day, so I guess he's technically a friend of the show. They count. No, he's not, not on. Uh, and maybe some future friends of the show were there. Wink, wink, nod, Ooh, nod. Hello. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> That's great. What well, sounds like getting a good time? You deserve it, man. You deserve a little. I know that it's not very relaxing. It doesn't sound like, but it's a little R and R. Take a little break from the the fast paced Washington lifestyle. That's good. Uh, it, it I like that. For it you. was really nice. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of, looks like my cat just ripped the top of her water fountain off, and water is spraying all over my living room. <laughs> so give me two seconds. Don't love that for you. Unfortunately. Yeah, the fun never stops here. Alabama's an interesting place. <laughs> um, you you know we knew it was going to be kind of fucked, right? But dude, <laughs> there is like nothing there. Yeah, that uh, we stayed in like downtown Birmingham, which sure some some downtown areas do actually kind of suck, and like the best parts of cities are outside. But we even hit some of the quote outside spots, and it was like a street with like three restaurants on it, and that was like the nightlife area. <laughs> okay. It was kind of bleak. Stuff closes, and maybe this is because of a worker shortage. Maybe this is because it was downtown. But like even national chains closed in the middle of the day. That's odd. We, we tried to get lunch on Thursday afternoon after we landed, and we, like, walked past multiple, like, national chain restaurants, and they're closed at, like, 2.30, 3, 4 o'clock. Really bizarre. I wonder what um, that's about. Yeah, I don't know. It was <laughs> it was really bleak. Uh, one of the ultimate lowlights was when we went to a bookstore and antique shop <laughs> downtown, and when I was directed to the uh, history section... There were commemorative vinyl albums uh, commemorating 
former Alabama governor and uh, defender of segregation, George Wallace, uh-huh. prominently on display. <laughs> I just had to explain to my Canadian friends who George Wallace was and why they were why they should be appalled. All they kind of a problematic. Was, Figure. Yeah, all they recognized was quote the X flag on the on the background. Yes, <laughs> what's that X flag? It's bad, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's yeah. Rob, there were also, and this is something as a former touring musician, um, who probably spent his time mostly in the north and maybe very little, if none, in the south. There were security guards, not just cops, but security guards open carrying at this festival oh man uh, weird which was like almost disorienting because it's like this guy's wearing like a neon yellow stage hand shirt and he's got a fucking gun yeah why like he's there to catch crowd surfers not yeah, kill d- yeah definitely like <laughs> we have a huge crowd of hundreds or thousands of sweaty people all mm-hmm. you know in together in closed space, definitely want to be firing a gun in that situation. Right. Uh, I'm, sure he's, this, I'm sure he's very well trained, though, so you don't have to worry yeah, about right. that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. I'm pretty that sure rigorous, they yeah, the <laughs> rigorous training everyone in America has to go through before they can get their hands on a gun. <laughs> famously, famously yeah, stringent. I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> I've heard it's, it's pretty intense, so I'm sure it's very safe. Yeah, so they were like, foam, by, the end, by the last night, they were foaming at the mouth these people because they like wanted some action that's just kind of how these people are and w- knocked loose oh friends of the show yes they yeah, that's what brian I was and kevin oh it's kind of hinting at i was yeah, yeah. I was, <laughs> it's okay <laughs> yes yeah. brian and kevin who from knock loose who have been on the show but all the rest of the band they're they're playing they uh were near the end of the night on sunday fucking blew the roof off the place when they started holy shit i uh, the first four songs there was an incident that kind of sucked the energy out of the room that i'll get to in a second but the first four songs that set were some of like the greatest like live performances i've ever seen just the energy yeah. it was electric in there so they are going absolutely nuts and there's a song called billy no mates which brendan from counterparts has a guest verse on and brendan goes up and he starts doing his verse brian jumps into the crowd and starts to crowd surf he gets back up he goes to go back on the stage because he's the lead singer in the band and that's where you sing from and they won't let him back up and they start like pushing him around security okay. and the manager of the band is standing right there jumps down and tries to get in between them he's like look no he's the singer he's fine obviously he needs to get back up there they throw him to the ground start kicking the shit out of him including kicking him in the head okay huge they stop immediately stop everyone rushes <laughs> over there a huge throng of people he gets like finally they they realize i don't know if they realize but enough people were there to pull them off the security or cop or whatever whoever did it uh it's hard to tell because they all had guns and this guy gets like you know brought over to the back of the stage to get medical attention they stop for like five or ten minutes the band has a conversation about whether they want to continue festival promoters and organizers are like deeply apologetic but it was like a mess and it's just it was kind of this weird moment where you're like, wait, why do they have guns for what? Because, like, that could yeah. have gone, like, even worse, yeah, right? Yeah, seriously. Um, I was just and, joking earlier about the, the comments yeah. about how dangerous that is. And, um, we're, I mean, we're lucky it didn't, but also just, like, why the f- why is that their reaction? Why yeah. is that something that they thought they needed to do? And why are they there? Um, it's not like people are just there to, I mean, they saw their role as something other than catching crowd yeah, surfers. Yeah. It was really, really insane. Yeah, is <laughs> if they, you might as well just take the extra step to become a cop if you're this aggressive like meathead that wants to wave a gun around. I mean, it's not like it's that much more difficult to upgrade at that point, you know. Honestly, with some the way some police departments behave, I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if the the application process and vetting process for uh, working a festival like yeah. this uh, is somehow less stringent than a police department <laughs> well i'm sorry to hear about that though it's unfortunate especially if the, the the start of the set was really good to have it get ruined by some some lunatic aggressive uh security guys it's kind of messed up yeah well they did um you know it came they came back and everyone went was nuts again but it was just like it was weird you know it's just like a yeah, weird sure. interruption it was just kind of different after that but man it, it was it was intense it was fun really, other than really that fun. though pretty good 
Yeah, uh, I can't get over how great that lineup was. Got to see bands that I never thought I would see. Like, I don't know how often Converge tours, but like seeing Converge to a crowd like that was pretty sick. Yeah. I had no plans to see Shy Halud. I don't even know if they tour anymore. Got to yeah, see I didn't them, even know they were cool. still around. Yeah, um, it was pretty cool, man. It was really, really fun. I did listen to Knocked, Loose, Knocked Loose's uh, record when they came on our show, and it, it really does, it rips, so. It rips. But, yeah. But yeah. that was my excuse. That was because they were on the show, so I was like, I better, better check these guys out. You, you shouldn't post that review. Yeah. It rips. It does. Rob Rousseau gives it two thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, Different Shade of Blue is fantastic. Um, they, uh, unbelievably are, they are unbelievably talented, and they just have such a unique, gritty sound that, like... <laughs> People, people were going ape shit during that set too. Like there was a stagehand who was working for the festival, who's festival staff, and he was you know, making sure all the mics and cords and everything were lined up and working. And he was he was on hand if someone bumped a mic and he needed to adjust it and that kind of stuff. He was like overtaken by the music and just started like <laughs> dan- moshing to himself on the stage, like behind them, and like even at one point just jumped into the crowd to crowd surf. Like <laughs> no one is safe. Yeah, it was such. It Sometimes was such a you gotta sight. just go for it, regardless of your your circumstance. Yeah, live, laugh, love, baby. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. That sounds great. Um, what did you? So, what did you get back into town? Mm, late last night. Okay. So we're recording this on Tuesday late monday night well i wish i could tell you that everything is that exciting over here i haven't gone to any cool hardcore music festivals or anything like that just oh, doing my normal how, thing how, been, how how are things at the ppc office <laughs> my, my big internship yeah that's uh, the, the only the only other minor thing that's going on is we had an election in canada i don't know if people heard about this heard about it yeah had an election last week um no one won it was no, nothing was resolved it was it was completely pointless. It was a total waste of time, everyone's time and resources. Um, okay. It was annoying to have to pay attention to it. Okay. It was annoying to have to talk about it a lot. And we're probably just going to have another election and another like year and a half. Mm. And we're going to have to just do it all again. And no one knows exactly what what we're doing or what it means. And nothing that nothing that's really like we need to be addressed that we need to be addressing is being resolved in any way um we're not actively going backwards <laughs> which is was a possibility uh, if the conservatives ended up getting elected so i guess that's a positive thing we're not actively starting to go do the exact wrong things we're just not doing the things that we need to do generally as or as quick as we need to do them when it comes to a number of different issues and crises sounds useful <laughs> yeah. sounds yeah. really good yeah, but I, you mentioned the PBC, and I know you wanted to talk about that. And that was, I think that was one of the storylines we were talking about before the election. Um, you know, I've been mentioning elsewhere, uh, the PBC or the People's Party of Canada, uh, basically the the run by this guy, Maxime Bernier, who was close to becoming the leader of the Conservative Party, uh, came very close to winning the leadership position. But then when he didn't, splintered off to form his own party, which basically has been like actively courting the the sort of extreme right. Um, they, we saw a lot of like, uh, rallies around the election time. They've really like been openly courting these kind of anti-vax, anti-vax, anti-mask, anti-lockdown crowd. There's a whole lot of like energy on the far right that's being directed on against uh, the liberals and against Justin Trudeau because not because of all the very real things that they could be mad about, but because they've come up with all these lunatic conspiracy theories about he's some kind of globalist, uh, you know, a Chinese communist agent or something like that. Um, so there was a lot of talk, especially previous, like, uh, leading up to the election, um, about the PPC, you had a lot of like liberal journalists kind of openly wondering like, well, you know, we might not agree with their views, but maybe we should start listening to these folks and like include them in our discourse because they've got this constituency, uh, and they were rising a lot in the polling and it didn't end up really turning into any, any tangible electoral results for them in this election. Um, Bernier didn't win his uh, seat uh, in Parliament. It was his, it was his second attempt to get elected, uh, his second failed attempt. So I guess that's one of the somewhat positive storylines from this Canadian election is that they weren't able to translate some of that 
the the anger that there is on the on the far right right now and they weren't able to translate that into actual like representation in our government which i guess if you got to take one thing away is like something that's like somewhat positive from this election yeah that's good i i think it's very easy to to do the whole like oh a lot of people are saying type thing to kind of gin up narratives in the media or give you something to write about um and certainly i think we talked about in the last episode but like rebel was like really big and pushing that kind of stuff they also have a very specific agenda but that they were given so much attention and made so much noise online and had such a embarrassing performance in the election yeah um shows how disproportionate like that kind of stuff sometimes can be and people tried to say that about sanders to undercut a movement but like sanders had like thousands and thousands of people flying all over to knock doors and stuff um, yeah he did he he you know like came PBC second in the democratic primary won, yeah. won the state of california and all these major states yeah and they the would democratic be like oh, oh, the That's internet is not real life well yeah, it's just I mean, like you just have an oversaturation online because people especially on social media and platforms like twitter uh, are younger and he appealed to younger people so they they it's just a, it's just like it's a sampling error you're looking at just twitter because that's where you as a pundit want to spend your time uh and you've drawn this conclusion that the internet doesn't have a connection well it does it does in some cases and we saw that play out with trump's election um but what we saw in ppc and, and rebel pushing that kind of stuff and just the general the general uh umbrella that uh that was that wing of the uh canadian election just was overinflated it was just a total bubble so i think people should certainly be cautious going forward about how they treat those types of things um if the united states is any indication (laughs) people won't yeah and (laughs) we'll see like there's a thing that that i've really come to you know that i've been thinking about this because really what we see with the ppc and this kind of this far-right movement in canada this is the thing is like you're absolutely right to point out that like the threat of this is maybe somewhat overblown and the idea that we need to like include these people in our discourse and our, our debates um is like really misguided but at the same time i don't want to like hand wave away the fact that there's a, there is a significant problem with the far right in canada that seems to be growing and and kind of metastasizing and really what we're seeing um is really when you look at the conservative party in canada and the ppc it's just a split in the conservative movement between the kind of button down uh, uh square types who want you know, privatization of public services and lower taxes and all the things that conservatives want, um, but also want to have want to like dress up their rhetoric and seem open and, and inclusive and kind of have this veneer, this like normal sort of neoliberal uh, veneer. Uh, and then you have this like far right movement that want to just dispense with all that and then want to start openly antagonizing immigrants and, and you know, people of color, uh, LGBTQ people. Um, they want to, you know, demagogue about vaccines and the, and the pandemic and all this stuff. And that, that's why I still am really concerned because, um, as I said, like none of these crises are really going away. So I don't really think that this energy on the far right is going to dissipate. And the thing that I've just been dreading, like ever since I've been kind of really following this stuff, um, is that there is going to be someone that's going to come along similar to how Trump did in the United States, because there was always this split in the conservative movement in the U.S. as well, right? Between the the sort of far right extreme reactionaries and the sort of mainstream conservatives. And they were the mainstream conservatives seemed like they were always sort of bringing those those people on the fringes into their coalition but not really giving them much um and really just doing you know policies that just benefit the wealthiest people um but trump came along then and started like really openly courting these types of voices uh and dispensing with this this nice rhetoric and all that stuff and the the rhetoric about you know inclusivity and all this all this stuff that they kind of pretend to uh advocate for and just as we saw in the u.s um, despite the fact that all the, the mainstream conservatives were, were terrified of Trump and thought that was a losing strategy, as soon as he actually won, they all one by one kind of fell in line and supported him. And you saw that like none of these guys really cared all that much about the rhetoric and about the, the open courting of, of racists and the sort of, sort of crypto fascist movement. They were actually totally OK with that as long as that there was delivering them. Uh, sort of uh, victor- legislative victories, and that's the thing that that makes me anxious. I think about the future of Canada is whether someone is eventually going to come along as well that unlocks this formula 
and is able to kind of unite these two these two parts of the conservative movement because you know there's a lot of case to be made that like like uh, the conservatives for the second time in a row won the popular vote in this election but because of our super undemocratic system didn't actually result in in them forming the government and probably if the ppc crowd was folded into the conservative movement they would probably be the government right now and i do still believe that um someone is going to come along that's going to figure out that formula similar to how Trump did that sort of fake right-wing populist formula and is going to be able to turn that into into like a real serious coalition no one they had, they don't have the the formula locked down yet again the conservatives the mainstream conservatives in Canada are still really um trying to appear moderate like that's their main that's their main thing and trying to disguise all their kind of extremist views but i do i'm i'm still I'm still very anxious that eventually someone's going to come along that's going to unlock this formula that's going to um, really unite these two wings of the of the conservative movement. Um, and that's going to end up being a serious problem, I think, in Canada um, in the future. Fortunately, it was avoided for now, but I, the, the threat of, of kind of like that kind of a right wing takeover, I don't think is still very far away, regardless of the results of this election. Right. I I, I read a piece by Chris Hedges yesterday that he, po- he posted on uh, are published on Shear Post, which is Robert Shear's website. Uh, it's called America's Fate, Oligarchy, or Autocracy. And while, you know, he, he focuses on the United States, you could certainly apply lessons or insights to Canada. And one of the things he uh, talks about is how oligarchs, uh, to quote him, embrace a faux morality of woke culture and identity politics, which is anti-politics, to give themselves the veneer of liberalism, or at least the veneer of an enlightened oligarchy and they have no genuine ideology uh, their single-minded goal is the amassing of wealth hence the obscene amounts of money accrued by oligarchs uh and and i you kind of saw hints of that um from trudeau and i think he he's you know probably going to open up not open up the door but you know carry on that legacy that is certainly really robust here in the democratic party in the united states but like as he positions himself as this woke, you know, do-gooder, as this guy who is leading the way in fighting climate change. Yeah. He is, you know, attacking uh, J- Jugmeet, who had, a, from what I understand, a more robust climate plan uh, because Trudeau's is market-driven and his yeah. quote, experts, as I, <laughs> yeah. I think you were the one breaking it down, the experts <laughs> said he, his his uh, climate plan got an A. But, you know, it's just kind of this neoliberal corporate yeah. uh, approach. It was this one fighting. guy, Mark Jacquard, who's a, who's a market economist, a green market economist or something that gave them the top marks. And then Trudeau was telling everyone about how all the, the climate experts, they love it, baby. But no, you're right. No, he's someone there that's, his job basically is to serve the interests of the very wealthy and the 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 very powerful private interests that run this country, um, uh, and give it this kind of veneer of of uh, progressivism. And that's that's you know, I really really similar to Obama in that in that way. Uh, he's there to sort of put this inspiring sheen on what is ultimately a, a project of uh, ongoing land theft and. Um, and and resource extraction and i i mean like that's trudeau's job and that's unfortunately that's kind of one of the inescapable conclusions about our whole sort of political system like you pointed out jugmeet's uh, the ndp's plan with uh, headed by jugmeet singh which certainly was there there was some decent stuff in their climate plan it was superior to the liberal plan but like the ndp as a party have kind of proven uh elsewhere that they're also beholden to these very same interests. Uh, you know, the NDP is the government right now in the province of British Columbia, and they're they're siding with um, the the oil and gas companies, and they're siding with the old growth logging companies um, in these these disputes over land and pipelines and and these logging projects. Um, and then so Jagmeet, who who seems like an okay guy and and is uh, you know charismatic seems maybe a little bit more genuine than than a Trudeau type figure doesn't really have any credibility when he does try to make these arguments about the NDP being any better that's the really depressing thing about just like voting in this election is just that if you can count yourself as someone on the left that like really wants not just sort of minor band-aids but like drastic radical climate action or drastic radical action when it comes to any of the other crises that we have to deal with, our housing crisis especially, which is some of the one of the worst in the Western world. Um, and no one just seems no one seems able to 
really offer up those solutions. Or if they do, you don't have a ton of credibility to be kind of making these kind of claims. Um, that's the ultimately depressing thing is that is that there just doesn't seem to be like an electorally there doesn't really seem to be a legitimate option. And like the example too, we never talk about foreign policy in Canada. Like we ne- it barely ever comes up. And this is the kind of the final straw for me, where in like the final week of this election, um, Jagmeet Singh, who had already gotten tried to get to Trudeau's right on the on the issue of of China and Trudeau not being tough enough on China. Hell um, yeah, brother! That, that's Jagmeet Singh and the NDP have kind of unified with the Conservatives to kind of make these claims about about the about the Trudeau government that they're they're not tough enough on China. They're not ramping up tensions with China enough. Um, and in the final week of the campaign, he went out and made the argument that Canada should actually be involved in AUKUS, the new military alliance, <laughs> AUKUS. Where was Trudeau on this? The, Where nuclear, was Trudeau on this? the nuclear submarine deal. Yeah, why aren't why isn't Canada involved in AUKUS? Trudeau really dropped the ball on this. And this is our, this is supposed to be our like left wing party, right? Yeah. And it's just like I just, oh. I just kind of just put my head in my hands and just be like, what what are we doing here? We just got we got nothing. We've got nothing really to feel that hopeful about here. It was very depressing. God. So did you vote? <laughs> I did vote. Yeah, I did vote. I can, I, con- I contemplated not. I don't want to be one of these like cool, like, oh, I didn't vote. I'm so it's like, like, it's this big, like revolutionary thing. But I really, after that, I was like, I, I don't want to participate in this. But I, t- I did vote for the Marxist-Leninist party. <laughs> There's a Marxist-Leninist party that runs candidates all over the country, despite you never really like... A sh- showing up to anything and you don't really know who who these people are but they just run they somehow run candidates everywhere so not to be confused with the communist party of canada there's a separate marxist leninist party that split from the communist party during the sino-soviet split at following the following china instead of uh, russia and then eventually split from china to support the albanian communist party uh led by um uh, Enver's Hoja. So I'm technically, technically, if you look at my voting now, I'm a devoted anti-revisionist uh, Hojaist. That's my new thing. That's my Got new it. pivot that I'm doing. Yeah. that I'm doing now. I'm yeah. so surprised that uh, a Marxist-Leninist <laughs> block would split. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we got two. Cool. We got two ML parties. So if you like, you've, you got different varieties. Sick. If you're really into that kind of stuff, seems like a winning strategy going forward. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the I I made that comment because I think I saw it on your live stream. Did people people wrote in the Joker where in Ontario? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't remember the race. I I I believe it was. Yeah, I believe it was the race in Ontario. There was the Joker was apparently a write-in candidate. And he got like two hundred votes. Yeah, I mean, I would have if the Joker had run in my my riding or my district. I absolutely would have voted for the Joker. I would have strongly considered it. Yeah, I think the Joker. Like I was saying, it's like we joke points. around about being Jokerified sometimes, and some of people actually like follow that up with meaningful action, you know. And I respect <laughs> that. <laughs> it's, just, it's so stupid, but sh- like it's just like people are so fed up with everything that they just don't even give a shit. Like they'll yeah. vote because they recognize it's significant, but then they won't even vote for anybody real. It's, yeah, I need to understand the, the pathology Joker. behind that. In the UK, they have a lot of that stuff. They have a lot of weird, wacky, fictional characters that run in their elections. It's kind of a whole thing. There's this guy, Lord Buckethead. Okay. I don't know if I'm familiar with that guy. One day, I just know the, mu- the musician Buckethead. But yeah, you shouldn't pay attention to anything that happens in the UK. Anyways, that's not. It's not a real country. No, no, it's not good to get into. It's a. It's a strange place that we don't want to that we don't want to talk about um, but yeah that's it it's just it's just uh it's just very depressing honestly it's like uh that's the thing that i couldn't help this feeling this inescapable feeling that i had throughout this canadian election you know i just i outlined some of the crises that we're dealing with we you know there's the crises with our indigenous communities as well the, the opioid crisis uh, i mean there's just no shortage of like very serious um very serious problems like plaguing our society and particularly plaguing like the younger generations. And it just feels like we're just sleep. We're just kind of asleep at the wheel. Um, we don't really have anyone um, outside of like our, our, our like smaller left-wing parties, like the communist party or like the Marxist Leninists that are really like talking about solutions to these issues that like really meet the level of, of crisis that there is. And we're just in this kind of never ending debate um, while sort of all implicitly understanding that nothing is going to happen, 
Um, you know, Trudeau's rec- climate record is awful. Emissions have gone up every year we've, we've, that he's been prime minister. We have the worst climate record in the in the G8. Um, none of the like that's we've talked about the 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 Paris emissions targets, right? That that was a big subject during the Trump presidency because Trump arbitrarily removed them from the Paris Accords. Uh, and that's just a, an example of how these accords don't really mean anything in the first place, not to defend Trump or anything, but like Canada stayed in those Paris Accords. Did we meet any of the targets that we set in those accords? Well, no, we didn't. We exceeded them all. But, you know, we stayed in there. We signed them. And that's our climate plan. That's our climate action, right? It's just accords and making agreements and setting targets and then just blowing past them and just getting the sense that like nothing is going to change. Um, you know, we have we have Trudeau now promising that, you know, this sir, we're going to hit these these new targets, these new, uh, um, you know, more radical targets by 2030. And it's just like people don't really like this. That's very soon that we're getting we're coming up on 2022. Like that's pretty soon. That's not that's not the distant future. Um, and it's just you get the sense that like nothing we're going to get to 2030 and we're still going to be dealing with the same fucking issues. And it's just that's the sort of maddening feel about trying to that's the maddening feeling about trying to engage with politics in this country right now is just it feels like nothing, nothing is really being seriously addressed. And like we just went through this whole election where you'd think that there would be at least like a conversation, a realistic conversation with some of these things. And it's just not happening. And like, <laughs> you know, it's just I'm not sure where that leaves us now. It's uh, and and all the all the real anger and the, the radicalism and organizing is happening around these like anti-vaccine lunatics. That's where the real energy is. So it's just it's not it's not a good situation. I'm almost getting to the point where I'm just like just just put us out of our misery. United States just finally fucking formalize this 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 relationship we have. Annex the country. We'll be your little northern province. I don't even want to pretend that our government is legitimate anymore. Um, it's not. It sucks. I don't like it. Yeah, I mean that whole approach to uh, in climate as a global existential one um, makes slightly more sense to have a long-term deadline. Uh, but so often that kind of stuff is just conveniently timed for, especially in American politics, to extend beyond what is the general assumption of your tenure. And we're seeing that play out with Biden now. Like, yeah, there's, kind of there's, punting there's, to the net to the future generations, yes, yeah, future administrations. On climate, 2050 is too long. But I mean, you can't do you can't do climate overnight. So a a, a shorter window, like a 2030, is or 2025, 2030, 2025 to have like actual meaningful, huge things in motion is should be expected. But like 20, 2050 to have like an insufficient plan implemented is not soon enough uh but on other issues and i think this is so fucking cynical and i wish people would talk about it more uh most recently there was one where uh the biden administration or the or the house pushed uh the expected date for the medicare dental benefits uh that biden and the white house want to 2028 and sure, part of that's like lobbying from the healthcare industry and health insurance companies, that kind of stuff, corporate interests. But also, I- ideally, if if a Democrat, for them, ideally, if a Democrat wins two terms, whether it's Biden or Harris takes over and wins, whatever, you kind of assume that you're not going to win again. Because, you know, it transfers back and forth. 2028 is like on the dot. Yeah, we're probably not going to be in power. So good luck. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, you know, then, and then, it, then it becomes either... Republicans just kill it or it becomes weakened because Republicans are, are, are poised to take power or you have to negotiate with, you know, people on the other side because you don't have a majority, whatever. You know, you're going to have like a diminishing control of the government over time. Uh, and that I, that timing is completely unnecessary. They could do it immediately if they wanted. Uh, but... <laughs> Pushing it back on the immediate end of what would be two terms for Biden is so blatantly cynical. I can't stand it. And like, especially talking about climate, that's that leads to the whole like battle that's going on in the United States right now with the the infrastructure packages, right? Because a lot of the climate provisions were kind of stripped out of this bipartisan um, bill, right? Correct me if I'm wrong about any of this. Um, and under the guise that like, oh, we're going to vote on that 
we we got into this a little bit I think last week, but you know we're gonna pass this bipartisan bill, which I'm not without looking into it. I imagine is like a handout to real estate developers and and private interests mostly, um, and then to have the more ambitious um, multi-trillion dollar one be passed through reconciliation, which is now turned into this um, wedge issue between the the progressive uh, element of the Democrats and the the. I mean, you want to say centrist, but it's it's not really centrist to like tank your own party's agenda, um, you know, because it's it's you know you're protecting the protecting the 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 profits of like private interests, like how Joe Manchin is doing right now. But it's it's set up now this showdown, right, with with the progressives and the moderates, the quote unquote moderates, and um, what do you what do we think is going to happen with that? I mean, that's it, that's been the storyline behind this whole Biden administration, right? Is whether uh, they were going to go big, go big on a big ambitious agenda, you know, not make the mistakes that the Obama administration made, um, which led to them getting fucking crushed in in their first midterms to go big with a big ambitious agenda. It's very interesting to see the progressives try to like make that happen and then have people in their own party, you know, really insisting on, <laughs> on uh, you know, just scrapping the whole thing. So I'm really interested to see like who blinks in this in this showdown that's developing now. And um whether whether the progressives are actually going to for once sort of wield this wield this influence they have meaningfully you know so people might remember early on the initial reconciliation package the progressives wanted a price tag around 5 or 6 trillion and within this is a slew of democratic priorities you know there's there's a ton of stuff inside um and i honestly I don't even feel comfortable just saying because you're bound to leave something out. You're bound to get something wrong. Just read up on it. I would encourage you just read up on what's in it. It's it's colossal. So you you have this big reconciliation. It was originally the progressives wanted five or six trillion. Democrats settle on th- uh, three and a half trillion. And recently, a bipartisan caucus has formed and put forward a infrastructure plan, separate, a separate infrastructure plan, and. The deal was the bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill gets a vote in exchange for the $3.5 trillion getting uh, a vote. And that was a deal. That has always been the deal. And they were going to go for it by this week. So now you have this debt ceiling approaching. If they, if they don't increase the debt limit, we default. And they don't want to include that in reconciliation, which would doing it through reconciliation it basically gets it through... Um, uh, gets it through the Senate uh, while avoiding the filibuster. So you can do like a 50 plus one. And a combination of both Manchin and Cinema, who are standing in the way and Democrats, Democratic leaders not wanting to do this through reconciliation has have effectively tied Democrats' shoelaces together as they're about to take off for a full, full sprint on both of these. And you now have a risk where because... They have backed themselves into a corner with the only hope of Mitch McConnell and Republicans, quote, doing the right thing uh, and just pa- increasing the debt limit in a bipartisan way with nothing in exchange. I mean, they're going to want so you're like, they basically you need Republican votes now because you're not doing it through reconciliation because they don't want to do that. You you need Republican votes. And Isn't this like a totally new phenomenon, though? This whole like you have to like give us stuff in order to vote for the the debt limit increase. Isn't this like a completely new phenomenon for well, something I mean, that used I, to be I a total think, tradition? Essentially, yeah, yeah. I mean, McConnell's ruthless, and the Democrats are cowards. So it's like they're going to be. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. It, this is how things have always been. You've done it, you know, countless times over the years, like well over a hundred times. It's not new, but now because the Democrats are have backed themselves into a corner and basically said like. Okay, Mitch, we need you to do the right thing. He's just been like, I will not do that. And they're like, oh, please, sir, whatever you want. And in, in exchange, we could see drastic cuts into key Democratic priorities or programs in this reconciliation bill. So if this gets cut, you can thank Democrats for just <laughs> fucking up again. Uh, we'll see. We will see. We'll know in the next couple days. Yeah. Further well, complicating it. Further yeah. complicating things, though. The parliamentarian is about to be out for several weeks because she's getting uh, uh, medical treatment for breast cancer. Well, that means so all she, everything's legal now. You just gotta do whatever you want. <laughs> no now. rules, baby. It's like the, it's when the teachers 
calls in sick. It's a <laughs> chaos, just pure mm-hmm. chaos. That's the time. Now is the time to strike. Now that the, as we know, the most powerful person in the United States government, the Senate parliamentarian, <laughs> now, now that they're out of the, out of the picture, you got to take the seize on that opportunity. Um, yeah, I'm just, I guess I'm just really interested in seeing what, what the result is because you have like, you know, uh, Jayapal and, and AOC and people that are like, you know, the, these members of the progressive, uh, wing of the democratic party, just basically saying like, no, we're not bluffing this time. We're not going to blink. We're not going to vote for that bipartisan bill unless they're both voted on at the same time. Cause that's what we've been talking about the last, uh, the last six months, right? That's what those, that's what our, our friends in the, in the force the vote movement were really kind of demanding, right? That like they, they really wield this influence and they really like try to gain, get concessions from the Democratic Party and, and, and threaten to tank things, threaten to tank, uh, bills if they have to. Um, so it seems like this is a case for when they, that actually might happen. So I'm really interested to see whether that, they do follow through on that. And like, that's the thing. Cause like, there's been a lot of sort of freakouts about, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez lately. There's the whole dress incident at the Met Gala, um, um, which, you know, I thought was kind of cringe, but wasn't really something that was necessary to like lose your, lose your one's mind over. Um, yeah. although I didn't think it was a very good look and probably if I was in that position would have advised against that. There was also her, her vote on funding the iron dome, the other day, uh, her her present vote, which I which upset a lot of people, rightfully I think, because it's while symbolic, I think kind of a part of a general a trend of like squishiness on these kind of foreign policy issues, which I think is like rightfully kind of upsetting to people. But as I've been saying, though, it's like th- these things you can you can criticize her or whoever for these kind of things, but if they really do come together and wield their influence like this uh, in an in an effort to like pass through this like as you pointed out this legislation that does in fact have a a lot of really ambitious bold things on it then like that's the kind of main thing that i think probably should people should be keeping their eyes on yeah i tried to avoid both of those stories but i did see speculation around the iron dome funding vote that be also because bowman voted yes like he didn't even yeah. vote present also he voted yes yeah uh yeah and someone speculated that that might be because a threat came down from Democrat. I'm not saying this makes it right. I'm saying yeah. this is just how it works. A threat of redistricting or, God forbid, like dumping a bunch of oppo that they do. Because that's what they do. Like the Democratic Party will do oppo on the Democratic candidates and you yeah. basically black them, blackmail them into doing what they want. Which is literally um, like cult shit. Like that's literally like what happens it, yeah. in it's like, like Scientology. Scientology, yeah. <laughs> I heard this recently about a potential candidate who was considering running for Senate, that one of the main people that was thinking about challenging cinema as a Democrat was approached with a folder full of oppo that the Democratic uh, Senate committee had had done on him and said, "Okay, go ahead. Here's what we have on you. So I don't think it's that. I bet it's just the New York delegation was given a directive to vote yes, uh, and maybe she just did present uh, but either way, I'm not saying it makes it right. I'm saying it's still wrong, and you should do, you should vote no because it's the right thing to do. It's just generally amazing you, when you're if you get kicked out, you're more power to you for doing it, for doing the right thing, going out in a place of glory. Yeah, it's just amazing when you talk about the United States government. No, we can't. We don't have money for this. We don't know. They're 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 complaining about these, you know, these these infrastructure bills, which would really help millions of people, millions of like their constituency. And like, I don't know, that's way too ambitious. But it's like, oh yeah, of course we just, in addition to these several billion dollars that we send to Israel every year, let's give send them even more just in case they didn't quite get enough. Um, like that's just preposterous in and of itself that, that the United States government is doing that with like, with almost complete bipartisan support. Um, funding the Iron Dome. Like, why, why don't they, why did Israel pay for their own Iron Dome? That's what I don't understand. Why does, why is America funding this stuff in the first place? It's so bizarre. Um, Especially as we are approaching <laughs> a, 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 a scenario where we run out of money. I mean, we, we are, you know, probably going to avoid it, but it's going to come at the, at the cost of probably the reconciliation bill. Uh, but why is that a priority right now? Yeah. When it's pretty amazing. We're trying to, to get our shit together. We're still dealing with COVID. We just spent trillions on a fucking clusterfuck war. Why? Why is that a priority right now for us? Yeah. Against a country that doesn't have, you know, assuming this is mostly for for Palestine, but everywhere else in the region. Palestine does not have a military. 
You do not yeah. you do not need an iron dome for fucking balloons. Um yeah, it's 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 really strange. It's just it's the same thing. I mean, it's just we just witnessed uh a couple of months ago, you know, Israel just openly brazenly committing all these brutal crimes um during the 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 forced evictions in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood and the resulting violence that ensued from that. It's it reminds me it's in a way it reminds me of the way that like regardless of the the brazen uh violence that this this country displays routinely is nothing can ever come between um regard there's nothing they can really do to like interrupt that unlimited flow of money from the united states government and it's the exact same thing with the the police throughout the united states right we witnessed the whole several months of the george floyd protests and just we talked about it endlessly on this show you documented this endlessly just the rampant police rioting and violence that took place just dozens of incidents of like police brutality throughout these these protests and nothing can like interrupt this 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 flow of funds to to police departments everywhere and democrats have to twist themselves into pretzels to ensure that everyone understands that they don't they would never dream of talking about supporting defunding the police um and they in fact want to increase uh <laughs> their funding significantly it's the same kind of a principle it's just there's nothing that can happen that's going to interrupt this this bipartisan consensus to continue arming and funding um these these kind of groups but that's i mean so that's that's the main thing that i'm really interested in you know i i i'm remembering very um clearly following what happened in the early days of the obama administration uh, i know there's people within the biden administration that don't want to make those same mistakes it just seems like the calculus is pretty simple to me which is that if they do end up passing this big ambitious bill they'll probably do well in the midterms they'll re- i mean it's it's literally people worked really hard to deliver them these big victories in the previous election uh, and giving them the house and the senate and the presidency if they actually meaningfully do something with this i mean this is the kind of what we've been talking about on endlessly for the last 6 months if they do something with this and they actually deliver on some of these big promises they were making you know that'll i think give people more reason to continue to go out and vote for the democratic party and if they if they are walking up to this midterm election just completely empty-handed um you know i I, it's going to be so demoralizing for people it's like i don't know how people are going to be convinced to go out and take the time out of their day to vote for the democratic party to say nothing of like you know door knocking or volunteering for any of these campaigns um and probably it's going to end up being the same result and they're just going to end up you know, whatever power that they've they've had now since the election, they're probably just going to end up handing it back over. And I, you know, history has told us time and time again that where the Democratic Party is going to land on this, it's like I feel like I know what the result's going to be. But uh, I'm watching with with interest to see if maybe this one time they get this one right and they're able to sort of uh, you know make this work. It's the I mean, they... it's the eternal Lucy in the football thing with these guys, yeah, I guess. Exactly, but it's also. <laughs> This is what they're going to have to run on in 2022. Yeah. If they get if they don't get this, it's just COVID response which as of right now, again also to go back to that hedges column, Biden's approval rating is now lower than Trump's. So, good yeah. luck. One, it seems like you know they 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 bet a lot on like oh we're ta- you know Biden we're taking off the masks, we're opening everything back up. We got the vaccines. It looked like that was kind of a calculation they were making that was going to pay off. And then as we've seen that, like the vaccines, while very effective, haven't been as effective at like limiting the virus. There's there's, there's medical systems across the country getting overwhelmed. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have continued to die. And all of a sudden, it's like they're not able to make this case that they're the responsible, competent party that, that managed the pandemic. It's not they don't really have a lot to run on. Um, and when you couple that with. You know, oh, we actually didn't deliver on any of this agenda. All these these big promises we were making—that's not going to be—that's not going to be great. I mean, that's it's the the amazing thing is that was what the whole pitch about Biden was. That was the whole reason he had for people to vote for him, which is that oh, I'm this experienced, you know, senator. Uh, I've been around this world for a long time. I've got all the connections. I'm going to bring the right wing into these into these movements, and I'm going to get conservatives to vote for these. And he can't even get the whole fucking Democratic Party on board with passing his agenda while they hold like uh, every branch of the government in the United States. Um, and it's just we like we literally went through like a, an entire electoral cycle where we heard endlessly about how this is the exact reason why Joe Biden was supposed to be the best decision to like be put in this position, and literally can't get his own party on board with with his agenda yep yep yeah cool. he's the guy he was the guy that was going to make people meet in the middle and you have the two centrist two of the centrist democratic senators 
standing in the way. All right, get to work, Joe. Let's see it any day yeah. now. <laughs> it's not progressives. It's not. That's what's driving me nuts. We just saw this play out in the Nina Turner special election. Hammered her with ads. She's too left. She's gonna. She's gonna stand in the way of the Biden agenda. Biden wants to get to work. Yeah. And what's happening? The progressives are in lockstep. The progressives are are standing firm, saying this is the deal. This we're gonna give you the bipartisan infrastructure vote. They're not trying to you know push new things in, it, it, put new things in there. A deal's a deal. They're gonna do it. And the two centrists in the Senate are standing in the way. And then a couple centrists in the House, like Josh Gottheimer uh, and Henry Cuellar in Texas, are standing in the way. So this is your problem. This is a problem you created. Oh, isn't Henry Cuellar the guy that the Democratic establishment rallied around to ensure that a left-wing candidate yep. wouldn't win? Is that right? Yeah. yeah okay. It was neck and neck. Right. Jessica Cisneros, a woman <laughs> of color, progressive, running against a guy who voted with Trump 70% of the time. Pelosi herself flew to that district in the waning days of the election to whip votes for Cuellar. And this is how he thanks you. There you go. You got what you wanted. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, and the amazing thing, though, about this is that the way that this story is playing out in, like, mainstream media in the States is like, oh, the moderates want to do this, and the progressives are blocking the agenda from passing, when it's literally, the like, ex- describing the exact opposite reality of what's happening, where you have the, the fucking progressives trying desperately to make sure that Biden's agenda actually passes, uh, and these people who are being framed as moderate, who are basically just, like, right-wing conservatives, blocking that from happening, and they're just getting complete coverage from the media, and then you have people like Stephen King on Twitter weighing in being like, uh, the prog- it's just like another one of these cases of the progressives are throwing this tantrum and blocking the agenda. You know, it's better to get something than, than nothing at all. And it's, it's amazing. It's really amazing that as they're trying to make sure that he passes the agenda that he campaigned on, they're getting blocked and like, they're still end up getting the blame for it. And that's the, that's going to be the thing is that whether they have the, the, the fortitude to hold firm on this because they are going to absolutely i'm sure get crucified for it in the media if they do go through with it but if they do i think they will they deserve a lot of credit because that's i think the kind of that's the kind of flex that people have been on the left anyway they've been really like asking them to uh to commit to so when is this so when are we gonna like when does this come to a head because okay so i know this is the other kind of tricky thing because i know pelosi it seemed like in terms of what she was saying about this was kind of taking the side of the of AOC and the progressives that want to pass that big agenda and it now it seems like she's um flipping on that and now she's trying to say okay okay so we'll compromise on this we'll vote for the one and then you know maybe do the other one after and i think everyone knows too that it's not going to happen if they oh, don't do it now not. everyone yeah. understands this basic pr- principle that this is the opportunity to do it it's not going to happen if it doesn't if it doesn't happen now and now it seems like pelosi is kind of like softening on this so who knows who knows whether she ever actually supported it to begin with or if she was just kind of like um trying to play both sides against the other yeah we'll see i think we i mean it's going to get delayed it was supposed to be this week um but we'll see we'll we'll know in the next few days uh the timeline i wish it was i wish it was simpler than that but it's just really opaque um yeah We'll see the deadline. The deadline is this Thursday for the for the debt ceiling, though. Uh, so okay. they have to do something immediately on that. But whatever deal they make, a lot of this is backroom stuff. It's a lot of speculation. You you hear details here and there, but we'll see. Thursday debt ceiling. That's the first thing to watch. So maybe the whole government will shut down and they won't have to even, to even deal with it. Everyone can just kind of go home. Yeah. There's <laughs> definitely a functional uh, non-failed state in both of our situations here. Actually, I feel very confident. About the 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 uh, our cherished liberal democ- Western democracies are really thriving right now. Yep, and I just feel great about being a part of it. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, thanks everyone. I guess that's that's the end of the episode for today. Thanks for joining us. Do you have anything? We don't have a guest. Do you have anything you want to plug, Jordan? People, I feel people know like our, what we're doing, right? Do we have to plug our own stuff? No cops at hardcore shows. Yeah, okay. I think we can all get on board with that. Okay, sounds good. Well, good to talk to you, Jordan. And uh, we'll be back with another episode soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you later.